1: Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. It is Tuesday, so, you know, every Tuesday we got our uh, awesome homeboy, <laughs> John <laughs> Zipper of Commonwealth Club with us. Hey, Michelle, how are you? Do you like being called my homeboy? Um,
4: you're the boss, so yes, I love <laughs> it.
1: John's not really a homeboy. He's actually a very credible, prominent, Editor of a magazine and vice oh, president of media services <laughs> of Commonwealth Club, a public affairs forum, one of the oldest, actually the oldest, right, here in California? <laughs> the first, yes. The first and oldest. The first matters. Yes. The first does matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the first lesbian POGs, out lesbian POGs
4: player. I think that's going to really scare all the lesbian pogs players who are not yet out. But maybe you can be their leader. They can be inspired by you.
1: <laughs> um, our young producer Jackson, our new intern Fong, have no idea, you know what pogs are. This is uh, sad, children. They only know the internet and Facebook. <laughs> and Candy Crush, I guess. That's what you play online or something. So, John, I have big news for you. It's really sad news, actually. We should light a candle or something or maybe, you know, strum a guitar. Uh, Blake Shelton and Miranda Lambert have broken up.
4: My goodness, no.
1: Do you know who Blake Shelton is? Um,
4: <laughs> I know that he just broke up.
1: Yeah, the big country star guy who... Uh, Stars in uh, The Voice, one of the judges. Okay. Okay. And uh, his wife is also a mega country star. Anyway, I don't know why I brought that up. I knew you (laughs) wouldn't know them. Maybe I'm feeling moody and bluesy,
4: you know. I didn't know them any more than I knew Pogs.
1: (laughs) Okay, fine. We'll talk about something that you do know. Donald (laughs) Trump (laughs) continues to be an idiot, apparently.
4: He continues to be controversial.
1: I know oh. there, there's a there's a reason for this all. I know it. It's it's all a, it's part of his plan, isn't it?
4: Um, he doesn't care. Actually, he knows that being what other people might consider to be a buffoon or super controversial, it doesn't lose him support because his supporters are looking for him to make fun. Uh, you know, do cause trouble for the the so called establishment, even though he's a billionaire. Um, my favorite political story. Okay. Uh, so Scott Walker, the very conservative Wisconsin Republican governor who's running for president, um, he issued a statement that he because, you know, it had come out that his two sons disagree with him rather strongly on same sex marriage. They are very much in favor of it. He's against it. His wife, uh, somewhere in the middle. So his statement was came out to try to show that his wife supported him. And he had this weird wording where he was talking about some family members have other extended family who do not agree with them on this issue I'm like the extended family who don't agree with you on this issue are your two sons <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, well he put the dogs before the sons Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, people these days anyway the media can be such a circus yes uh, let's start the show. Uh, the show today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit pacificfertilitycenter.com. Our guest today is the producer and host of Transition Radio, a radio program on the Internet that talks about LGBTQI uh, issues and the issues that affect our community. There was a recent article featuring uh, that was featured in The Advocate actually discussing the perspective behind a person being an ex-trans activist. Not really sure you know, if that is what our guest identifies with, so let's just ask. Let's welcome Mark Cummings to the program. Mark, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm actually pretty excited to talk to you. I mean, we love having, you know, perspective here on the program and uh, I've listened to your radio show, and so I love it. I mean, the, the article, like I said, that was featured in The Advocate, called you an ex-trans activist. Is that accurate? And if so, what does that actually even mean?
2: Oh of words nowadays, and especially the trans community, which has to create verbiage and uh, identify people in different ways, uh, um, such as cis, trying to identify individuals that are not trans. But, yeah, I did consider myself a pretty strong Jewish advocate for many years for the community, and um, through the years, I started seeing the community deteriorate in so many ways and become so demanding that I became totally turned off by that label. Therefore, I choose no longer to advocate for the community, nor do I choose to um, actually identify as such.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about, you know, kind of the work that you do do. I know that you have been pretty vocal about, you know, just not everyone... Um, needs to transition if you identify as transgender. I mean, there are many transgender people who de-transition, by the way. I mean, yeah. let's face it, the changes that you have to make to your body, is pretty tough. It's not easy. And, but at the same time, it does not take away from the identity piece. I mean, some people um, make the mi- mistake that they think that it, you need the actual full transition in order to identify as your true gender. Um, so let's elaborate on that and kind of your feelings regarding transition.
2: Sure. I I truly believe that the individuals like us that are, I like to say, walk in both worlds or are considered having two-spirited, and I know a lot of people get a little upset when that word is used because they say it only belongs to the Native American. I'm actually a Tahino Indian from Cuba, so I pretty much do own that, that actual label. But I believe that Human beings don't all fit in a box. And I believe that there is no need to alter your body, hurt yourself with chemicals and alter your genitals and, and do things that actually, in the long run, really solve absolutely nothing because wherever you go, there you are. You can't really change anything in reality but actually hurt yourself by doing these procedures. So when you see a child, and this is our main plight, we see children that are being pushed... To actually take hormone blockers, or to actually end up on hormones as young as 12 years old, and I'm seeing actual young individuals at the age of 14 go into procedures. Well, how do we know that these individuals are going to think the same way when they're 20, 25 years old, when actually the brain fully develops then?
4: So, Mark, uh, where do you think? Yeah, I know. And according to the Advocate article, you, you've run in you pretty directly gone after some of the medical professionals involved what about parents how, how do you communicate to them what what are your criticisms or or other feelings about those parents who have these kids
2: well, I, I would tell those parents very strongly to make sure that they love and accept their children, but don't push them into doing things that are going to alter their, their chemistry. They're going to alter their being. I mean, actually, we interviewed somebody by the name of Isaac, who was in the front line of the gender, the name of the growing up trans. And um, he himself had quoted that he felt like a constructed man, that he felt cheated of his natural puberty. So, you know, parents are I know parents are trying to be totally supportive of their kids, but at the same time are they? Because it's it's almost like power suggestion what I'm seeing that this has become a product and they're selling this product. And I don't know. I mean it's people are people and we shouldn't be pushed into gender boxes. I think we should be able to express ourselves whichever way we want to. But it almost seems to me like they're trying to eliminate what is different and putting everyone in a box. So you feel like a girl, then let's, let's identify you as a girl, let's do whatever it is to make you a girl. But why can't that boy really be a feminine boy or just be able to express themselves without having to fit into a, a neat little box?
1: And we could even talk about your own personal experience, Mark, of transitioning. Um, but, you know, when you first go through the process, I believe the first step is seeing a, a therapist, right? Um, yeah, a psychotherapist yeah. who then diagnoses you and then kind of finds a course for you. Or uh, do you think that there's also, you know, we need to criticize that that beginning process oh, as well?
2: Definitely, because these individuals, I remember back in the day in 2003 when I first found out about this whole transgender thing, I went to a so-called specialist. So who this these individual specialist? They're gender specialists are really dealt with transgender people, they they dealt with gender issues. And all of a sudden, now they've created this whole new profession. And they're all of a sudden experts. Like even Dr. Spack, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this doctor, he's the one that actually has started all this puberty blockers. And who made him the expert, he was just like, studying frogs, you know, and all of a sudden he became the expert of puberty blockers because he went to the Netherlands and found out some of the work that they've been doing and he brought it down here. And now he's the main doctor who's actually teaching other doctors. So it's, it's a little iffy to me because it's like this has not been going on. This whole science is very new and we're placing all our faith on this without questioning. And I want to be able to question. I want people to have an open mind and say, wait a minute. How much information do we really have? But well, it is a long-term study. These doctors are even saying this.
4: It, it, the Advocate article also really plays up the controversy that has uh, arisen around your remarks and your, your postings on social media and such. Um, do you find that you're, just by asking these issues uh, or raising these issues, asking these questions, that's causing controversy, or do you think it's the way you're doing it that maybe is, uh, you know, getting people's backs up a little bit more?
2: What do you mean by the way I'm doing it? I mean I'm, I'm keen, but I'm very passionate in the way I express myself, and I've been attacked a lot because I, you know, started questioning this whole thing. So after a while, when you still attack, you become on the defense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, just basically. We created a video, my now wife and I, and the video went viral and people just started attacking us because of the video, because we started saying, you know, these blockers, how safe are they? They're not very safe. There's people that take loop on there actually have a log class action suit against the company. They've, I mean, it's a very dangerous drug for adults. It hasn't even been tested and proven to work for children. So we're just listening to this group of individuals that all work together you know, the doctor also, Dr. Spack, and now the, the new doctor, um, what's his name? But Dr. Giraffe, Giraffe, Garaffel. Oh.
1: Yeah, and, and Mark, yeah. I mean to be honest with you, if I'm hearing you correctly, and just even after doing some of my own, you know, research in in your your what you do, it's not that you're necessarily advocating for you know people to do something. You're just kind of criticizing the uh, you know those involved or certain individuals, certain doctors, as as, as well as you know, maybe we should take a few steps back and just kind of think about this more in depth than just diving into it and and whatever the doctors are, uh, whatever the diagnosis is, or whatever they're prescribing, uh, quote-unquote, that we should just go, you know, uh, full speed into it, right?
2: Exactly. That's that's basically what we've done. It's just ask the question, get people thinking. There are a lot of parents that are very fearful and they come to us via email and they're thanking us because they're like, I don't want to go this route and is, is there another alternative? Why are people listening to me? Why are they forcing me to, to eradicate my child's gender and force them to be this other gender just because there's a few people that are doing this? And so that gave us enough arm for strength to go forward and speak for these individuals. Because there's you know, there's only one side, and it's like being sold like the best product ever. And people, there's not enough long-term studies. What's going to happen 25 years down the road and all these kids that have been drugged and pushed and all of a sudden say, "Wait a minute, why did why did my mom allow this to happen?"
1: Mm-hmm. I can't say that I know all everything about the puberty blockers, um, but I think that it is a valid question i mean anything you put in your body and if you don't have enough facts uh, 20 25 years later yes you're right we could uh, mm-hmm. see some adverse effects uh mark we got to take a quick break but when we come back i want to continue our discussion and especially uh, get into your thoughts um in in regards to being gender variant and gender queer so stick around with us yes, yes, the michelle meow show continues right after this don't go away
5: You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com.
4: And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show. Welcome back.
1: Thank you so much for joining us here on this special Tuesday, July 21st. I am Michelle Miel, your host, and we have John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club here with us, which is always so exciting.
4: Always glad to be here.
1: You don't sound gay, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have a... uh... We will bring that up later in the show, so you got to stick around. But for now, on the phone with us, uh, we have a, 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 an activist in which I was reading an article in The Advocate and featuring an ex-trans advocate or advocate activist, um, and uh, it's become somewhat controversial. And so we have Mark Angelo Cummings, who is the producer and host of Transition Radio, which is a media source for the LGBTQA community, who's here with us. And Mark, I'm on your site now, and I wanted to ask you, because I think this was... Will be a great segue into my next question regarding, you know, identifying as gender variant or gender queer. Um, but you no longer identify as trans, and actually, on the site says you're working on healing and returning to um, your true nature of being female.
2: Um, what I'm working on is actually balancing out my male and female side. When I transitioned back in 2003, I pretty much put asleep or try to kill, which is what most individuals do, my female side. I um, have fallen in love with my now wife, Lena, who actually helped awaken that inner female side of me. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. Lena fell off a mountain pass 300 feet heading towards me from um, Minnesota to uh, Silver City, New Mexico, and I had to nurse her back to health. Well, I had to tap into my female side um, to do that kind of nursing and, and just bringing her to where she is today. And I quickly realized, wait, you know, I tried to kill my female side all these years and something awoken inside of me that allowed me to accept both my male and female side. So right now what I'm doing in my in life is just no longer identifying with just one particular gender and pretty much just calling myself gender variant. I, I see that in the trans community, people end up just dismissing and hating who they used to be. And that, to me, is almost like counterproductive, because I believe that the two-spirit nature, or what people call themselves trans, is a gift. It's not, we're not meant to just hack off one side and just totally live our life as the other gender. If that makes any
4: sense. What what do you think about some of the criticisms, um, not necessarily of you, but, you know, that, that have generally been made when people get into discussions of gender? Even the issue of talking about, you know, traits that are either female or male, it's just, well, why is nurturing a female trait? I mean, you know...
2: Well, it's not. I mean, males have a nurturing side, but society has taught us to fit these stereotypical roles. I mean, we see it a lot of times in genetically born male, they're not allowed to cry. I remember my grandmother's funeral, my my aunt literally, you know, scorned my cousins because they were crying. So it's it's one of those things that we really can't get away from because it's the way we are raised to believe. And we should knock all that down. And I, I believe by knocking that down and just allowing ourselves to freely express ourselves in both our energies, the yin and the yang, the male and the female energy, that we will actually be able to heal as a species. Right now, we keep trying to put people in boxes, and transgender individuals are feeding into these boxes.
1: Let's talk about, you know, the transgender community for a second. I mean, you know, right now, the media is eating up uh, the trans, you know, community in a lot of ways, right, with Caitlyn Jenner, Laverne Cox. And so... I wanted to get your feelings or kind of what your thoughts are about the fact, you know, what how the media is responding to the transgender community today. I mean, do you think that having spokespeople like Laverne Cox, Caitlyn Jenner, even someone as young as Jazz Jennings, for example, with a new show out, um, you know, is this dangerous to you when it comes to being able to express yourselves in a, in a different way than being male female?
2: I think it is because what they're doing is they're trying to put a face to trance. You know, it's like they're trying to create, like for instance, jazz. You know, it's like trying to fit everyone into this little perfect neat box. They're trying to create a 65 year old individual showing them off as the new normal. This is the new female. How many 65 year old women do you see dressing the way Jenner is dressing? How many 14 year old girls? or asked, like Cosmopolitan asked Jazz, if she was pansexual. She shouldn't be thinking about any type of sexuality at that age. You know, it's like she's being pushed like a product. And I think that's hurting the LGB community in general, including the team. I mean, that's just, they're sexualizing, they're marketing, they're too much in their face. And I think that's going to turn around and bite us all in the, you know, where? I don't know if I'm allowed to use that word.
1: You can. Whatever yeah. you say on your show, you can say on yeah. ours. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna turn around
2: and in the ass, you know, in the long run. It's it's like it's become a product. And I remember back in two thousand and three when I was advocating, it was not about a product. It's about appealing to people's emotions in a certain way. It wasn't about reprimanding people for using the wrong kind of words. You know, it's like the word tranny became such a no-no and it's like you know what that word's been used for a long time and nobody got offended all of a sudden now the new wave of trans get, become offended about everything I mean did you hear uh, the, what was it that new gay pride thing that they're not allowing drag queens what was it in Glasgow Scotland it's had like this thing now it's like everybody's so afraid to hurt transgender individuals' feelings it's like you know what you have to have Thick skin in this world, and if you don't have that thick skin, then I personally think they have no business transitioning because it's a hard life in general.
4: Do, do you think the the same sort of uh, effect is coming from Laverne Cox's uh, uh, you know high profile?
2: I think Janet Mock uh, was the one that created this whole thing with, and I was quoted being racist for saying this, which I'm far from it. I'm Cuban, I'm daino I'm dark skin myself. Um, She said she wasn't born a baby boy. She was born a baby and just started denying the whole concept of biology. And that, to me, is crazy. You know, it's like you can identify as you wish, but don't deny your true biology. Don't confuse people. Don't make people walk on eggshells.
1: And what about the uh, you know the what a lot of even the news networks today, and I'll I'll quote them before quoting myself, but these news networks are you know interviewing uh, parents and young transgender people themselves, in which they talk about um, that they feel trapped in their body and that, that you know so
2: bizarre. But that, that's me, how can you be trapped in your body? That makes absolutely no sense. You know, your mind and your body are the same you know and and there's no such thing as being trapped i mean your hormone play some people are more androgen than others you know some people their karyotypes are totally different from their normal chromosome or whatever and, and there's just different play of of things chemical things that's happening in your body but to say that you are trapped or that you're born in the wrong body that makes absolutely no sense and i used to say the same thing in the beginning because that was like the power of suggestion. That was what you read and you figured, if you want to get your letter from your therapist, you have to say the right words. Because that's the key words that they're looking for.
4: So, so what, how did your own mind and your own ideas and your own attitude toward this start to change? What, 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 what? As, so, I, so evolved,
2: what? as I evolved, as I grew, as I started really listening to what people were saying, I started saying to myself, this sounds bizarre, this sounds crazy. It sounds more like a personality disorder than any kind of other disorder. It's like, um, what's that, um, this, this morphic, body dysmorphic disorder. There are individuals out there that feel their arm doesn't belong to them. It's neurological in nature. It's not, you know, you're, there's nothing wrong with your arm, there's nothing wrong with our bodies.
1: Mark, I want to thank you for being with us here on the show today. Uh, by the way, I forgot to say it, but congratulations on um, your you and your wife, by the way. You just yeah. got married. You're yeah. on your honeymoon. So thank you for taking yeah, sure. the time to speak with us. And uh, I think, you know, through our conversation and having interviewed, you know, several, uh, again, perspectives here on the show, that's what it is. That our community is made up of, of so many Diverse perspectives, diverse people. Uh, There are very many ways to identify yourself. And, uh, you know, if you would like to tune in to Mark's show, you can do that by going to transitionradio.net. Mark, thanks again. Yeah, sure.
2: I think it's important that people realize that they need to learn to love themselves no matter what. And that's always been my main message. It's unconditional love for self and others. And that we don't have to fit into a box. And that's, you know, people think I'm not some monster, I'm not some bad guy. I'm just trying to get people to wake up and become aware that they don't need to hurt themselves to be something. That they just need to love themselves. Parents love their children no matter what. You don't have to hurt them in the end by trying to alter things. And and don't listen to medicine because medicine is not your friend. The medical community is definitely not our friend.
1: In my opinion. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for that. And again, you know, obviously you know, Mark has a lot to say, and he hosts a, a, a great show, uh, TransitionRadio.net. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Michelle Mial Show continues right after this, and like I said earlier, I mean, uh, I think I sound gay. John doesn't sound gay, but I, I think, think I sound gay. I don't think you
4: sound gay.
1: And you don't think I sound gay? No. Well, there's a reason why we think we don't, or we do sound gay, so <laughs> stick around. Don't go away.
4: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome
1: back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this incredible Tuesday, July 21st. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us.
4: That's right. Nice to be here. Do I sound gay? Oh, man, do you ever.
1: (laughs) Do I sound gay? (laughs) I don't know if lesbians can sound like lesbians, but there is such a thing. To be self-conscious as a gay man of how you sound and or if you sound like a gay man versus, I guess, not a gay man. So, I don't know, John, if you ever, I don't know, have you ever talked to yourself in the mirror and asked yourself if, I, if you sound too gay? Nope. You're very confident, maybe. Well, we'll find nope. out <laughs> what this all means. Our guest today has a documentary out called Do I Sound Gay? So, let's welcome David Thorpe. David, welcome to the program. Thank you. We both had a great time, actually. We enjoyed your documentary. Mm -hmm. This is something that I think subconsciously a lot of us in the LGBTQ community ask ourselves daily, you know, am I acting too gay or do I, yes, sound gay? Um, You started this project. uh, It was like a a personal project, but it's exploded into this full-fledged documentary that includes interviews from some big heavyweights like George Takei, um, Tim Gunn, Don Lemon. Yeah. So tell us, you know, about your journey.
3: <laughs> oh, that's a broad question. I know. Um, I mean, you're, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, you're right. It, it really started um, as a personal journey, and it started as that question that I think almost every LGBT person has had, as you point out, that you know, uh, am I, is, you know, is my, is the way, the way I'm dressing too gay, and going to get me in trouble? Um, is my gay voice on the subway going to provoke some kind of harassment? Um, you know, is, my, rain, is my, my pink triangle pin okay to wear, you know, in this neighborhood? Um, I think that all minorities, um, including LGBT people, um, uh, have developed a really keen awareness of how much minority they are giving in any given situation. And, you know, of course, I, I made the film about my voice and about sounding gay, but I I made it because I felt like it was a much more universal story about how we all uh, kind of tweak aspects of our appearance um, either to fit in or out of fear that we're going to provoke some kind of harassment. And I wanted to try to you know figure out uh, what what worked for me.
1: Right, right. And I'll say this right now: you sound actually different than the voice that. Um
4: you're calling from a lumberjack factory, right? <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're,
0: just, you're just chopping yeah. wood, and you, you
1: lost some of that, uh, uh,
4: uh. that
1: gayness because what I was getting at was that you actually, in the documentary, you did see a speech pathologist after inquiring with yourself, you know, if you sounded too gay. And I'll have to say, you know, now hearing your voice with the, not inside the documentary, you do sound different.
3: Uh, how how do I sound now? <laughs>
1: You know, I, uh, to be honest with you, I think that there's less of the elongated S's uh, that you talked a lot about in the uh, documentary. Um, I, I, I was going to ask you later, you know, kind of upspeak and what that means. Um, I, I think that people are hearing that term maybe not for the first time, but maybe defining it for the first time for themselves. So uh, I'd be curious to know. I mean, do, do you do? You, do you hear a difference in your voice? or you went through, the, yeah, um, again that journey. Yeah,
3: I do, I do. I mean, I, I stopped doing the the vocal vo- exercises that I learn in the film, as I, uh, you know, as you see in the film. Um, but you know. What I did learn was sort of about my voice, where it comes from, and also like both physically and you know linguistically. And so I'm much more comfortable with myself. I'm much more comfortable with my voice. And I think in interview, I really like I really like talking to people about this subject. And um, I have a lot of you know passion for how our voices are a way for us to look at larger issues. And I, you know when I'm when I'm happy and relaxed and confident, my voice just kind of settles into a certain place that feels natural and normal. Um, I mean, bear in mind, like you know, um, it's an interview. We're on the phone. Like uh, I, you know, I'm not talking like I would talk with my friends in the film at a bar after a few drinks.
4: hmm It's interesting what you were just talking about. You know, when you're you're you know, feeling comfortable and and, and relaxed and, and such. A lot of the the kind of stereotypically gay mannerisms or whatever in voice that, that you, you go through in the film, you know, the the upspeak, the uh, use of the word like a lot, seem to be kind of, you know, uh, reflections of insecurities. But yet, presumably, you're less insecure when you're surrounded by other gay men. I mean, the... It, <laughs> If only, if only. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case.
3: Uh, I, I find lots of ways to be insecure. Um, and, you know, I think, listen, you know, um, gay men are still men. I think uh, there, there's certainly... Whether we're human, I guess I should say, and uh, you know, we are. We're conscious of you know how attractive are we, or how funny are we being, or you know, again, is my you know, is my look you know straight acting enough, or you know, I mean, not not everybody is bedeviled by all these thoughts, but there are plenty of things to worry about um, in, in a in a gay bar. Although it is true that obviously you feel safer, and I think that you know one reason that we sometimes get more flamboyant is, uh, we do, you know, I think it's a safe space for us to, you know, appropriate the stereotype that we're, that we're effeminate. It's a safe space to just be effeminate if that's how we feel. And, you know, I don't think that's unique. I think that impulse is probably not unique to gay men in the sense that we're all, you know, gay or not, uh, kind of under the sway of these gender rules. And we all, I think, uh, might break them if given the chance.
4: I, you know I, I really enjoyed this film and I, I really am going to encourage folks to, to check it out um, one of the the neat things is that how many folks you have in there people people do know and as well as people who you know maybe they're not aware of but you know I mean again Don Lemon George Takei Tim Gunn Dan Savage did anybody that you approached you know kind of any uh, big names like that did anyone not want to be put in a position where you know they didn't want to take a part in this because it would kind of involve them having to examine their identity as a gay person and how they they project uh, whatever their personality is
2: well I I did get a lot of
3: rejections I got a lot of no's I think I probably asked you know five times more people um, to be in the film than said yes uh you know, rarely did I get an explanation of why. Um, and there could be all kinds of good reasons for, for not doing a movie. Um, but I think, you know, one interesting thing that happened was I did ask two very well-known comedic actors um, to be in the film, and uh, who, you know, I think most people would agree sound stereotypically gay or have played a lot of stereotypically gay-sounding characters. And they they both decline on the basis that they hadn't really thought about it and that they didn't sound gay. Uh, and I, you know, I respect that, but at the same time I, in my mind, I thought, maybe you should think about it. Uh, because, you know, certainly that had a lot to do with, um, how they're perceived. Uh, I think, by by most of America. But, you know, um, the, the celebrities that said, yes, I uh, didn't have to twist their arms, um, you know, I think they recognized that um, sounding gay was a stereotype that deserved both um, kind of some, uh, de- you know, dispelling, some kind of destigmatization, but also needed to be appropriated and embraced. Because you know, many of us are effeminate and some of us aren't, but um, none of us should be ashamed of it.
4: I, I thought one of the most interesting ones was Don Lemon, the CNN anchor who kind of had a couple things. He was kind of watching his language on one was getting rid of the Southern accent get, you know, and, and because of course when you're on national television, generally they want that, you know, Chicago standard voice. Um, and the other is of course, you know, gay mannerisms, gay, gay speak, if you will. Um, and, uh, you know, others like Tim Gunn, it's, you know, you meet him, I think you would probably, you know, your gaydar would go off. You'd think this man's gay. On the other <laughs> hand, just from his voice, maybe I don't not. think so. Yeah, right. maybe not. Um, but really, a, a great collection of folks. And, of course, Margaret Cho. So why why would you not want to see this film?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I,
3: I did, you know, I did try to make it a film um, with, with kind of, wide uh, mainstream appeal, and um, the LGBT community is part of the mainstream.
4: Well, I mean, when I was watching it, I was, you know, I tend to nitpick films when I'm watching them, especially when they're making an argument of some sort. And what was really neat was basically every, you know, question or query, I would start to think, hmm, I don't think he's covering that. You would have someone cover that. So, I mean, you did a Uh a good job of, of... Answering things. Uh, I just have to ask because um, of course Michelle's across the table from me here um, Any idea on how you'd sound lesbian? <laughs> like
3: oh, that. that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I had an article today about this um, You know I certainly there's a stereotype of the butch lesbian that you could easily throw in kind of a deep masculine and also, working class way of talking is something that that, that people have talked about, um, because whereas the sort of you know one of the stereotypes of the gay man is the kind of effete, aristocratic, um, uh, overeducated, uh, uh, urban guy, one of the stereotypes of lesbians has always been like you know plaid, you know flannel shirts and and working class kind of. Background. Um, but, you know, I, I did talk to a lot of women about, uh, about sounding gay and a lot of experts. And, you know, while there certainly are women who sound more stereotypically masculine than other women, um, overwhelmingly the sense I got was that the voice wasn't, um, a big source of stigma for, for lesbians and that, um, they were more likely to provoke or, or, you know, some kind of harassment or, um, uh, you know, Abuse just from more from visual cues that mm-hmm. if you know if you have a super short haircut and you dress like a man and you know maybe your walk is a little more manly, um, that was the kind of thing you were most like more likely to get um, harassed for than than how you
1: sound. You are absolutely right because I was going to say the walk. You know, as a kid, I got teased a lot by uh, boys by the way that I walked. I, I even had one boyfriend who said, I'm, I'm dumping you today. And I was like, why? What happened? You know, and uh, and he was like, because you walk like a dude.
3: <laughs> wow. Wow. You know? Well, um, that's a, that's a funny anecdote. Now you can look back and laugh. I heard. Right, but uh, that
1: was painful uh, back then. You should have said. Oh,
4: sure. you want to see if I can hear like boy, you... yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
3: And and do you still do you still feel like you walk like a
1: dude? I I think that I definitely. Uh, I mean, you know, I yeah yeah I think I have a, a very unique walk. I wouldn't say that it's feminine. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say that it's graceful. <laughs>
3: You know. I think maybe you should post. Maybe you should post a little clip along with the podcast. <laughs> right, uh,
4: oh, that would be great. But know.
3: Uh, you know, what's really interesting to me is that certainly I grew up in the '80s, and I came out in the late '80s, early '90s, and um, there was so there was so much. <laughs> there was, was a lot of excitement about fighting um, in the streets and and fighting homophobia and fighting AIDS, but there was also a fair amount of infighting about identity, and I. I Overwhelmingly, every woman that I've spoken to as I've been on the road with the film has agreed with that notion that the, the, it's the visual cues that are, uh, can be more sort of dangerous or, uh, more conspicuous. And, um, so I, you know, it's, listen, I know that there are women who have felt stigmatized for their voices, but, um, I'm, I'm glad that I didn't do some major screw up and, and miss, a big you know problem for for right. lesbians because i would have wanted to cover it
1: <laughs> right no 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 i mean uh, the do i sound gay documentary that you made i thought it was it was just so great it's so as uh, a, a quoting indie wire thought provoking for sure um one last question for you before we let you go david because i know you're you know you're doing a bunch of screeners across the country um you just had one in la in which dan bucatini was involved in how did that go yeah,
3: Dan, Dan Bukatinski was the creator of uh, The Comeback, and um, uh, which we all, well, many of us love. Uh, and he recently starred on Scandal before being killed off. Um, but it was an amazing uh, conversation with him and a, a very well-known casting director named Marsha Ross, and we were talking about the pressure on actors who sound gay in Hollywood and how even outside of the casting offices, they feel pressure to act because casting agents will, you know, tend to see them as only able to play gay roles, which, you know, there aren't a lot of necessarily, and also, you know, most actors want uh, a lot, to play a lot of different kinds of roles. So, you know, it was a really intense, feisty, frank conversation, and I think, you know, both Dan and Marshall were very honest and, you know, uh, and obviously acting comes first and good casting comes first, but they're kind of in the business of looking for types. Mm-hmm. And it gets very tricky to be, um, it, it's really hard to always, um, you know, also sort of, it's just a, it's a thorny negotiation when you're actually dealing with someone's emotions or their lives. And, you know, uh, when an actor gets told, oh, you're too gay, you know, it's reminiscent of the bullying that, that he might have had, you know, in the schoolyard. So it's still a thorny question, and there's a lot, a lot more to say about it, so I hope we'll get to talk to them again.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your film with us, David.
3: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
1: For more information, you can head to doisoundgay.com. There are plenty of screenings that are happening across the country, like I had mentioned, but also uh, there's information on it being cable-on-demand nationwide. Um, and also there's the trailer there. So visit doisoundgay.com. Don't go away. When we come back, John and I, will uh, we'll wrap up the show, and maybe we'll test each other on our, our gay <laughs> sounds.
4: <laughs> that sounds worse than it could be, but...
1: <laughs> Don't go away.
4: Ted Olson and David Boys came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. And join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show.
1: Welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the Michelle Miao Show. I am your host and also John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us today. Um, Really quick, John. I mean, I know I mention it all the time, but you're with Commonwealth Club. It's the uh, oldest and the first public affairs forum that started out here in California. Yep. And um, so you guys have a bunch of cool, awesome talks, forums, uh, you know, events. Do you have anything cool coming up that we can promote?
4: Well, um, it depends. Obviously we have a lot of political stuff. So if people are into politics, um, here
1: on progressive voices, yes. yeah, I'm pretty sure.
4: <laughs> well, uh, we have someone that maybe your younger listeners might not be as familiar with, but, uh, Gary Hart is coming up Now he was a former presidential candidate who did not end up winning in 1988. Um, for there was a scandal involved. For those of you who are quickly googling, however, he was a senator before that. He went on to become very much an elder statesman on on especially security issues, and for example, was warning the United States before nine eleven that there you know would be security issues, uh you know could be terrorist big scale stuff here in the U.S. And uh, he currently is a special envoy to Northern Ireland, and he's written a book about what might sound boring, but it's like the most crucial thing, which is. Our democracy is it, mm-hmm. is it really screwed up or not? So he's going to be here for a political geek like me. You That's know, he, awesome. He was, he was the Obama of the 1980s for, for Democrats who were looking for kind of, you know, a younger, fresher, different sort of face. Now he's an older face, but he's also a lot wiser. So that'll be an interesting one.
1: That's what I love about Commonwealth Club is that, you know... You'll learn something for sure if you don't know who that person, or the subject, or the book, or you know what this person is going to talk about. You'll always learn something. So, um, I think that you should head to CommonwealthClub.org to check out all of their events, and also you can find all of our past uh, uh, content. I guess that John and I do on Tuesdays. Yeah, you, you can, can find just, there.
4: Just go to CommonwealthClub.org. Use the uh, search feature. Actually, just type in "meow." Meow. And you'll <laughs> get the page.
1: Meow. <laughs> um I thought today was a, a fascinating show I mean absolutely. you know again we did two di- really different interviews one person being an ex-trans activist um mark and uh I think that you know the interesting thing is I, I this is what I do every day I always encounter I meet people who I absolutely agree with and I connect with and then I meet people that maybe I don't always agree with mm-hmm. you know but I'm willing to I'm willing to listen. And I think, you know, if we could just take the uh, extremes and put them against the wall and find somewhere in the middle to to learn from each other, there there's actually truth in everything that people say.
4: I think there's a lot. People will find it just more interesting when they find out that they can talk to people, you know, <laughs> different views and stuff like that. It It, it is interesting because you, you get the human aspect, but you also learn something and you find out mm-hmm. they're not all... Right. just because they disagree with you.
1: Right. As a cisgender lesbian woman who's nonconforming. She actually um, has
4: that on her business card, by the way.
1: Yes, it's on my business card. Michelle Miao, cisgender, nonconforming lesbian. <laughs> and sometimes I do throw out queer. Um, I, there are ide- multiple identities in our community and it's complex. There are a lot of uh, complex ways of of not just identifying but defining yourself and being able to articulate that to the world. And even mainstream world um, you know it's a pretty difficult thing to do so I don't I I don't always shut the door on everyone even though I may not agree with them uh, but um, I, I certainly don't always have to also absorb and and say yes you're right you know you are the Jesus of our community <laughs> I just think that there are multiple you know uh, theories thoughts and as we're navigating this whole adventure together we're all gonna learn something different it's just like the Commonwealth Club.
4: <laughs> oh, wow. Good, good tie-in. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then we ended the show with, uh, you know, David and his documentary, Do I Sound Gay? At first, you know, I was just like, how do you make a documentary over an hour on this subject? I didn't really know how, what, where he was going to go with it. Um, but once, um, and I'll be honest, I didn't get a chance to tell him this, but when he opened the, the movie up. I mean, I was like, "Oh, for sure, you sound gay." Are, do, do we need to know the answer by the end of the documentary? We already know you are gay.
4: <laughs> as I indicated to him, I was skeptical as I was watching it, as, you know, especially at the beginning, where I'm like, "Okay, where is this going?" And uh, it's, I, it's, I think, it's an intelligent look at this question. It's, it's at a times a fun look at the question. It's a very human look. I think it's time well spent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the first things – he's right. I didn't even look at it this way, but um, the voice is an identifying piece uh, to the gay identity, a gay male identity. And, you know, growing up when my brother came out before I, I ever did, he came out first. I mean, one of the things that people would say was that, you know, he just talked different. He he sounded gay. He would no. – you know. Yeah, um so you know when they when he added the um uh, stand up pieces from uh who's that guy the redheaded guy Lewis Lewis CK Yeah CK and and doing the you know the cuz cause he, cause he sounded like a F-word Um that's what people used to say to my brother like all the time don't sound like an F-word Really Yeah and it and it became Offensive. It was hard. It was bullying.
4: Did he try to hide it or did that make him?
1: Oh, my gosh. My brother tried to hide his gayness so bad because growing up in Starkton, um, as we know, it's the second saddest city in the entire <laughs> country. It's one of the first cities to go bankrupt. So the crime so, you know, rate is very high for those who don't live in the California area. Uh, my brother, to survive, to not get beat up so much. Would disguise himself as like a Vietnamese gangster this is the guy that after school would come and we'd hide in the garage and he would teach us uh you know the dance moves to like Janet Jackson's like escapade or what one of those you know, I mean this is the guy who like formed his own cheerleading crew between me and my sisters so he'd walk around in this like bandana <laughs> We we talk to him about this uh, these days because he's really really you know he's very um, gay <laughs> <laughs> and he would be like oh my gosh it was so hard to pretend <laughs>
4: to be a gangster. How old was he when he dropped the pretense? Uh, he went
1: away to he went to college, went to Davis, and that was you know kind of his coming out process. But I really. That's why I think that the documentary is so important because there's different ways in which you could look at what identifies you as gay um, and how important it is for some gay men to not sound gay.
4: Well, think about it. You're talking about him getting beaten up. Mm -hmm. I've never been in a fight in my life, and I've never been called the F word either. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, two homeless people did in Manhattan, and it was on the same day. So the only time in my life was when I was walking across Central Park and these two separate people – Decided to call me the F word. Um,
1: I'm pretty sure they would have called Donald Trump the F word, too, if he was walking next to you.
4: <laughs> they, they might have, though. Uh, anyway. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, for when there's a very negative consequence there, I can see that being something like, oh, I've got to change that or alter it. Or, as we all do, I think, dress up as a Vietnamese gangster. <laughs>
1: I'd say Vietnamese because there was a lot of Vietnamese people and there is a lot of Vietnamese people in Stockton. There's a lot of Southeast Asian gangs. Um, but, you know, it, 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 the, the documentary was a, it, it allowed for me to reflect on my gay brothers and how I I had always thought that being flamboyant or being effeminate, you know, yeah, I, I, I drank that Kool-Aid where it could be looked upon as like a bad thing, a stigma, uh, because it, it outed you. You know, if you you had that sound. Yes. Hi, I'm Steven and so I'm going to the gay bar and we're going to have a beer and we're going to you know whatever. Um and and uh, I I che- I had to check myself after I watched the movie that I sh- certainly should not Add to the stigma, or, you know, I shouldn't add to how negative it could be. So I really do, like John had said, we encourage everyone to check out the documentary. Go to doisoundgay.com to find out more information. We got about three minutes left. So I think at this point, I'm just going to say goodbye because I think we could just play the trailer, which is about two minutes or so, and kind of give you a piece of the documentary. John, it's been amazing having you here. My gay brother, my homeboy.
4: Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: john zipper of commonwealth club uh, for everything else michelle meow related you can head to MichelleMeow.com. we'll be back tomorrow at the same time four o'clock pacific standard time thank you
3: it be a beautiful day this is me david in my life i'm surrounded by gay voices including my own what do you mean i didn't like the sun i love the sun but sometimes I feel really self-conscious about sounding gay.
0: I'm like, get me to the front of the line, I will kill you. And there was like this magical tutu that popped out it's from it's like nowhere. Like Is amazing. that
2: what I sound like? I've been uncomfortable with the way that I've sounded for years, but it's like there's nothing I can do about it. If I could sound more masculine, I definitely would. It's not a choice to sound gay. I don't think I sound like a woman. I think I sound like a very small man. You know, like, like this high.
0: <laughs> I'm used to hearing my voice now. When I would first hear it, I
2: quite
4: frankly would be appalled.
0: A lot of gay men are self-conscious about sounding gay because we were persecuted for that when we were young. Well, when I was in third grade, people started making fun of the way I talked, and that's when the bullying started. <laughs> and so I remember
3: changing my voice Trying to sound less gay just to survive high school. Growing up, I lived in constant fear of sounding gay. I do have people who come to me uh, to ask to sound less gay. You are a tongue thruster.
1: Found so alone now.
3: Stop it! You're going. Stop it. Okay. Stop, Stop, it. Stop it. Stop it. Right. Our father is brought forth on this continent. You say con- continent
0: <laughs> Perhaps you picked this up when you were young by listening more to women than to men. Mm-hmm. For many gay men, that's the last vestige of internalized homophobia, is this hatred of how they sound. with sounding like you are who you are, sounding like a gay man, having a gay voice.
1: Thanks for listening. You can catch The Michelle Miall Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, on the Progressive Voices Network.